0: Let's face it, in our busy lives, we don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. In fact, according to the CDC, only 1 in 10 Americans are eating the recommended daily amount of fruits and vegetables each day missing out on essential vitamins minerals fibers and antioxidants and that's where balance in nature comes in balance in nature sources only the best produce free from pesticides heavy metals and harmful bacteria and balance in nature is the best fruit and vegetable product on the market they use only fresh whole fruits and vegetables inside each capsule they don't use any gmos fillers binding agents or preservatives of any kind you're getting real food real science real nutrition i would never endorse a product that i don't use myself and since using Balance of Nature, I feel more alert, I have more energy, my focus is sharper, and I feel great. Live life to the fullest and choose Balance of Nature. And guess what? PAS Report listeners can get 35% off the first preferred order. Start getting the recommended daily amount of fruits and vegetables you need by using code PAS at BalanceOfNature.com. Welcome to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. The PAS Report provides an honest analysis on the critical issues that matter to you without the biased media filters. Here's your host, Professor Nicholas Giordano. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the PAS Report Podcast. It's is your host, Nick Giordano, and it's amazing because my semester comes to an end, and I think, great, it's going to be finally a chance to relax a little bit before my summer classes start. However, The last couple of weeks have been insane. And I filled in for Mark Young on Blumforce Truth and co-hosted two episodes with Chuck Woolery. I always enjoyed the conversation with Chuck and going on Blumforce Truth. He's so down to earth. I also went on the Eric Metaxa show and I have to say, he's such a great guy. We had a great conversation, bunch of different topics we spoke about, really important conversation. So check it out. I went on Tucker Carlson tonight last week to talk about the passage of the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act and how it's going to be used to target political opposition. Unfortunately, we ran into some technical issues towards the end, but I got my points across. I have all the links up at the PAS Report website, so you can listen to those appearances. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for the newsletter and hit follow on this podcast so you never miss an episode. In this episode, I want to focus on the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act since it passed the House, and it's currently being debated in the Senate. If this bill passes, it will essentially codify the Biden administration's national strategy for countering domestic terrorism, something that I have warned about over the course of the last year, and the potential to weaponize it, to target political opponents, is going to greatly increase. We're going to codify that into law. Once the program is codified, understand, it's going to be impossible to undo. And I'll talk about why that's so dangerous in a little bit. Now, you, the audience here, should be familiar with this bill because I warned about this exact bill when it was first introduced a year ago. The PAS Report political podcast is ahead of the curve on all these issues. And I warned then how this was nothing more than an attempt another power grab that usurps the authority of the people, and that this bill will be weaponized to target political opponents. Of course, the jackals are using the massacre that took place in Buffalo, New York, to ram through this horrible, horrible piece of legislation, and they don't want to debate the merits of the bill. It's funny, because they don't have any arguments to back up or defend the things they say. Instead, they just go on the attack. They don't explain why this bill is necessary. Instead, they use innuendos and vague accusations It really is frustrating because when you sit there and you present your arguments and then they just simply throw back, well, you're a white supremacist. You're a domestic terrorist. And then you have idiots like Congressman Adam Kinzinger. A pathetic excuse for a congressman, I may add, but a congressman nonetheless. Take a listen to what he had to say.
1: People like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, people like Matt Gaetz, Mo Brooks, the folks you think about um, they are almost leading, well, I, I would argue that they are leading the Republican caucus. And so Kevin McCarthy, Elise Stefanik, instead of leading, as you know, their title, leadership should suggest they do, they basically are tolerating this all in the name of hopefully I become speaker someday. You can't fundraise, you can't feed, you can't live on fear, because eventually you're going to create fearful people, and fearful people can do really bad things. And I think that's what we saw in Buffalo.
0: Before I give you my thoughts on what Adam Kinzinger said, I want to go to Vincent Linguardia Gambini and get his take on this.
1: Everything that guy just says bullshit.
0: Thank you. Doesn't Vinny always provide the best analysis? Because when we look at what Congressman Kinzinger had to say, I mean, he brings up fear. That fear is what led to the Buffalo shooting. I mean, is this idiot kidding me? Look at the last several years and you tell me who's pushing the fear card. Do these people even listen to themselves before they open their mouth? You want to talk about fear. What about the endless segments on how President Trump was going to start a nuclear war? What about Democrats in the media industrial complex telling young black men that police officers are hunting them down and they should be more afraid of the police than the gangs in their own neighborhoods? That the police are the real threat to young black lives, which is completely false and numbers don't back it up. You want to talk about fear? Did this idiot even think of the coronavirus and the fear that was needlessly instilled throughout our entire society, where you still have people outside, alone, 80 to 90 degree weather, wearing a mask? They pushed so much fear that nearly half of the Democrats thought if you get COVID, there was a 70% chance of you going to the hospital. Even Bill Maher, who is certainly no conservative, he even got tired at a constant fear machine. I have to cite a, a survey that was in the New York Times, which is a liberal paper, so they weren't looking for this answer. But they were talking about uh, this. The question was, what do you think the chances are that you would have to go to the hospital if you got COVID? Mm-hmm. And Democrats thought that was way higher than Republicans. Hmm. 41% of Democrats, and the answer is between 1 and 5%. Okay. of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% thought it was 20 to 49%. So 70% of Democrats thought it was way, way, way higher than it really was. Liberal media has to take a little responsibility for that, for scaring the shit out of people. (laughs) Understand that when these people speak about fear, they should think about the fear officials like Lord Fauci and the other little authoritarian wannabes that forced people to mask up for nearly two years, especially when it comes to our children, which was just cruel and borderline abuse. What about the fear of President Biden, who warned about a dark winter of death and despair for the unvaccinated? And he told the unvaccinated, our patience is wearing thin, What about the fear President Biden and other Democrats tried to instill by invoking Jim Crow when criticizing Georgia voter laws, which are actually more liberal than Joe Biden's home state of Delaware and several other blue states? The president and Democrats routinely invoke fear when they push their radical agenda, and they invoke fear when they push their racial politics, when they want to divide us and factionalize us. Maybe Kinzinger, And people like him should criticize President Biden for exclaiming that Republicans want to put black people back in chains. Maybe he should do that. He's so pathetic. This Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act only serves as a vehicle to codify the Biden administration's national strategy for countering domestic terrorism. They say it's because of the threat of white supremacy and white supremacists and, and the threat that they pose. But all this bill will do is make it easier to target political opponents. All this bill will do is make it easier to continue to monitor and surveil the American people, to expand the powers of the federal government and the security state apparatus. I have the link up to the actual bill in the show notes on the website. So I encourage people to read the bill for themselves. Read it yourself, come to your own conclusions. Now, when reading the bill, I will say, it it sounds innocuous in some ways. I mean, who wouldn't want to prevent domestic terrorism? There's not a single soul that I know that supports white supremacy. So while it may sound good, you have to understand my concerns. You have to know how this system works. First of all, when Congress crafts a piece of legislation and the president signs that legislation into law, it's going to be the bureaucracy that plays an important component to this process because they are going to take what Congress wrote, interpret it, and implement the programs. The vaguer and more general the legislation, the more flexibility the bureaucrats have to interpret that legislation as they see fit. Another important part when you actually are reading this bill is that you are going to have to cross-reference it with other laws and statutes, and that's what people don't understand. So while certain aspects of this bill may seem innocuous, when you start to cross-reference it, it gets a little more concerning, and you have to examine what the provisions are really about. It's complex when you factor in how bills are written. They make it like as technical as possible so that the average person won't understand the bill that they're reading about and say, oh, this doesn't sound too bad this bill will empower the bureaucracy, and we've already seen the abuses. It increases the surveillance state apparatus at a time when the bureaucracy is being driven by ideology. It continues to be this dangerous combination, and the legislation calls on the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, and the FBI, three extraordinarily powerful entities, to, quote, analyze and monitor domestic terrorist activity and require the federal government take steps to prevent domestic terrorism, end quote. Now, most of you would probably agree with that to a certain point. Notice, though, how intentionally vague it is. What does analyze and monitor domestic terrorism mean? What does domestic terrorism actually mean? What will be the methods that they use to analyze and monitor domestic terrorism? What are the types of things that would trigger monitoring? What safeguards are in place to prevent abuses and make sure that those who aren't engaged in domestic terrorism aren't going to be caught up in this program? And what does it mean to take steps to prevent domestic terrorism? It's questions like these we should be asking and demanding answers from lawmakers. I want to know what these steps are. Another important question is why do we need two departments doing this, as well as several agencies within these departments doing this. You know, following 9-11, we tried to make agencies share intelligence. However, we know problems still exist, and agencies get very territorial over the intelligence they acquire. So why have separate entities essentially doing the same thing? Not only will this lead agencies to withhold information from each other, but it also creates redundancy and waste. Most importantly, though, when you read this bill, and we look at the term domestic terrorism, notice how on page 5 they limit domestic terrorism to white supremacists and neo-Nazis, as if no other radical groups exist within the United States that could commit acts of terror. And even when you examine the idea of white supremacy, ask yourself, do they really define what is white supremacy? What constitutes white supremacy? They don't even mention it. They don't mention what constitutes white supremacist activities Do you realize how open-ended the phrase white supremacy is and how it can be interpreted as anything? And given that the phrase white supremacy has been thrown around with impunity over the last few years, are you sure that you want such a loaded term to be that ill-defined? Not only does this bill leave a lot to the imagination when it comes to the idea of domestic terrorism, but they also begin to redefine hate as domestic terrorism, even though we have dozens of statutes targeting hate crimes. But remember, it's all intentional. And the problem is that when it comes to hate, hate can be very subjective and open to interpretation at a time when they want to declare words as a form of violence and hate. Then you could be declared a domestic terrorist. See, if I push back against the idea of children being taught gender fluidity, they accuse me of hating trans, the trans community, and so now you could be a white supremacist. You know, when you think about the statutes already on the books, when you think about the word hate crimes, it's just that. It's a crime. It's not domestic terrorism. It's why we have a penal code. If something is elevated... To a hate crime, you have added sentencing guidelines. Why are we going to try to conflate domestic terrorism with hate crimes? They are two very different things. You know, terrorism is the intentional targeting of innocent civilians designed to instill fear and change government policy. A hate crime is a crime committed based on someone's race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, I believe gender is included in there as well. The word terrorism, though, now gets thrown around all too often. It's gotten completely watered down, and that's where some of this danger lies. I'll explain that in a minute. And since the bill passed the House, it's now going to be debated in the Senate. The Senate has also introduced the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. They introduced it last year, and in one of the versions of the Senate bill, it's interesting because it talks about COVID nineteen hate crimes, and it points to quote racially discriminatory language in describing the COVID nineteen pandemic end quote again. Think about what that's saying. Now, this probably won't be in the final version of the bill, but think about what that's saying. That if you use racially discriminatory language in describing the COVID-19 pandemic, you could potentially be charged with a hate crime. So if you call it the Wuhan flu, if, if you say that the virus came from the Wuhan laboratory, is that discriminatory? Well, of course it is, because these are the same people that said it's racist if you say these things. If you say it came from the Wuhan laboratory, that it's racist, it's xenophobic. So I want you to look at their own language that they're using in the legislation. And I also want you to take a look at the obvious and what's happened over the last year since the national strategy was released in June of 2021. You have to understand this is a coordinated and organized effort to target political opposition one of the most important points is that we already have over 50 terrorism-related laws on the books. Shouldn't Congress and the bureaucrats explain why none of these previous laws are good enough in preventing domestic terrorism? And if they're not good enough in preventing terrorism, then can we do away with some of those laws? How many laws do we need? You know, most don't realize that every law that's passed takes away some of your liberties. Now, we accept, we accept the need For certain laws. We understand that some laws are necessary. However, Congress was never designed to churn out law after law after law. Remember, the third principle of old republicanism, the government that governs the best governs the least. And we shouldn't be so willing to just turn to Congress the second something happens. Too many believe that Congress exists to pass laws. While that's one of their functions, the main function is to debate the issues, study the issues, have experts come in, testify about the issues. And only when that there's no other avenue, only when Congress realizes that they're the only one that could help mitigate a problem or or solve a problem, only when there's compromise from all sides, only then does Congress take action. Instead, people just want Congress to pass law after law after law. It's the knee-jerk reactions that have got us to this point in our history. And I will continue to voice my opposition to the national strategy because it's a movement to target political opponents. And anyone who dares to question narratives, anyone who dares to dissent will be labeled that they're pushing anti-government, anti-authority sentiment. This could lead to incitement, and therefore you are a domestic terrorist. Since the release of the national strategy, take a look at what the administration has done. This is not tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. This is the actions of the administration. So you have the national strategy in June of 2021. Then by September, you get the Department of Education encouraging the School Boards Association to request the Department of Justice investigate parents under the Patriot Act as potential domestic terrorists. Again, this is not Professor Giordano putting words in their mouth. This is in their own letter. Then you have the Department of Justice creating an entirely new threat tag system to target concerned parents that has been utilized dozens of times. You have the Department of Justice creating a specialized domestic terrorism unit that we still know nothing about, nor have they been asked about this new unit. Then they announced that there's the creation of the Disinformation Governance Board, the Ministry of Truth. And while many think that this board has been dissolved, it hasn't. It's only been suspended for 75 days. That's it. And I could guarantee you it's going to be rebranded and repackaged as something else, but essentially it's going to do the same thing. Fast forward to three weeks after that, you have President Biden labeled nearly 50% of the country his political opponents, as belonging to an extremist organization, in fact, the most extremist political organization in the history of America, recent American history. That's exactly what he said. Yet, I'm somehow supposed to believe that this new domestic terrorism law won't target political opponents. I'm supposed to trust this administration with this type of power. Yeah, right. I wouldn't trust any administration with this power, and I don't care what political party's in power. The government should not be having this much power. But what really concerns me about this bill, and this is where you have to cross-reference because it doesn't talk about it specifically in this bill, but what really concerns me is the idea of material support provisions from previous laws and how those material support provisions can be manipulated, and that's what will be used to target political opponents. When it comes to the idea of material support, it can include anything— And you may be thinking to yourself that if someone is providing material support to white supremacists, then they should be investigated. And I understand that logic. Here's the problem with that, though. The government hasn't defined what constitutes white supremacy and what would rise to the level to warrant an investigation. They haven't outlined any specific groups. We know very little about the true nature of the threat. What are the names of these white supremacist organizations? What does their membership consist of? What are their command and control structures? What are their operational capabilities? Notice how they never release this information. And don't you kind of find that concerning? If these white supremacist organizations represent the biggest threat to the republic, then shouldn't we know who they are and what they are doing so that we know what to keep an eye out for? You know, the whole model following 9-11 was see something, say something. They gave out tips and advice on what to look out for. You know, if someone's wearing a heavy winter jacket and it's 90 degrees outside, you may want to be a little suspicious of that. You may want to report that. So they would give advice to what to look for. Yet when it comes to white supremacy, we get nothing. We, We get no advice. Now, why is this important? Well, the answer is simple. Let's just say you post complaining about the Biden administration's open border policy. According to the left, you are an anti-immigrant, bigoted racist. You are a white supremacist. And without ever showing any real connection, any nexus to further terrorism, they're gonna, they could push to get a warrant to monitor and surveil you. Because you are dissenting from the narrative. Just think back to the height of lockdowns and authoritarian decrees. Remember the Black Lives Matter protest? You had over 1,300 so called public health professionals signing a petition stating that George Floyd protests, they're fine, but if you protest lockdowns and mass mandates, you are a white supremacist. Once again, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to take my word for it. You could actually read the letter they wrote. I have the link up. And they wrote, We can show that support by facilitating safest protesting practices without detracting from demonstrators' ability to gather and demand change. This should not be confused with a permissive stance on all gatherings, particularly protests against stay-at-home orders. Those actions not only oppose public health interventions, but are also rooted in white nationalism and run contrary to respect for black lives." So, opposing unconstitutional decrees like mass mandates and lockdowns, those should be completely reasonable positions, but these public health professionals are saying, no, that's white nationalism, that's white supremacy. Now, you may disagree with the idea that these mandates were unconstitutional or not, but we're allowed to have our opinion. We are still a free country, I mean, not for much longer, but as of right now, we still are free. The fact that you would label people protesting unconstitutional decrees as white supremacists illustrates just how this law is going to be weaponized against rational political thought and how it could be used to target political opponents. But it's not just with immigration and the open borders. It's not just with mass mandates and unconstitutional decrees. If you oppose critical race theory or diversity, inclusion, and equity programs, you're labeled as a racist, a white supremacist you are trying to whitewash history. If you oppose strict gun control measures, you're defending the racial hierarchy of white dominance. If you call for voter ID laws, you're white supremacist calling for the return of segregation. Jim Crow laws, or as the president would say, Jim Eagle, whatever the hell that means. See, it used to be that when you thought of white supremacy, you would think of skinheads, you would think of people in white hoods burning crosses, You would think of people openly promoting hateful rhetoric. You would think of Swatsick tattoos. However, over the last several years, the Democrats have blatantly tried to redefine white supremacy to mean anything they disagree with when it comes to policy matters. They are rebranding white supremacy to mean anything and everything that goes against their now-minded point of view. It's intentional, it's condescending, but it's also why this bill is so dangerous. Just think, if you oppose this bill, so I flat out reject this bill. I don't want to see it get passed. I do not want to see the Senate pass it. I do not want the president to sign it into law. If you oppose this bill, what do you think they're going to label you? You're a white supremacist, of course. See, again, they can't debate the merits of an issue. Instead, they would rather attack and demonize their political opponents, brand them with the scarlet letter of racist and white supremacy. If you oppose this bill, you are supporting white supremacy, you are the grand clan master. These people are incapable of actual thought. They lack the ability to think critically, and I don't want to give them this type of power knowing that they are incapable of actual thought, because they are vicious as well. Between the Democrats' effort to brand any dissent as a form of white supremacy and a politically weaponized bureaucracy, do you not realize that these are explosive ingredients when you combine them? And I want to know, especially from those who disagree with me, especially from those who say that this is a bill that needs to be passed. Are you really naive enough to think that the bureaucracy won't abuse this power? Are you really naive to think that they won't target political opposition? Oh, trust the government. Trust the people who staff the government. Don't ask questions. They're professionals. They wouldn't abuse their power. Yeah, okay. The senior leadership in most of these agencies and departments have proven nothing more than to be complete ideologues. They have proven that they have no regard for the American people, and they have no regard for the Constitution of the United States. For those who believe that this law won't be abused, I want you to consider all the abuses over the last 20 years. Just remember the Patriot Act. We were told, oh, it's not going to be used to spy on the American people. We're not going to use it to monitor the American people. If you think that, you're a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. Well, turned out to be a lie. The NSA prison program was capturing every single person's electronic data, including web searches, social media posts, emails, text messages, dates, times of phone calls, the phone numbers that were called, the duration of those calls, so much more. On top of that, you had officials directly lying to Congress at the same time, saying that it wasn't taking place, that any data capture was unintentional. You have the former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, being asked specifically whether or not Americans' data is being captured. What do you say? No, not wittingly. So yeah, I'm not really going to trust that. What about the CIA spying on sitting members of the United States Senate Intelligence Committee? What about the FBI illegally accessing the NSA's repository on American citizens without a warrant? A problem that is so big that the courts have admonished this practice by the FBI several times over the last two years alone. They said it was illegal, and yet the FBI continues to do it. What about the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, collecting millions upon millions of records on gun owners, even though Congress passed a law explicitly forbidding the ATF from creating any type of gun databases? What about the National Institute of Health and the Centers for Disease Control, withholding information from both the Trump administration and the Biden administration? What about senior bureaucrats like the horrible human being Maud Fauci? who is using government resources to attack and discredit any scientist or healthcare professional that disagreed with him because he is a petty tyrant. What about the CIA illegally collecting data on American citizens? A program that we still know very little about. We, we don't know the size, the scope, the scale. We just know it exists. The other thing that we do know is that the CIA is not supposed to be targeting American citizens. That's not their jurisdiction. What about a report that was recently released where you have ICE, Immigrations, Customs, and Enforcement, creating a large-scale surveillance system and is capturing the data of ordinary Americans? What about the United States Postal Service ICOP program, where they were monitoring American social media accounts? What about the FBI knowingly lying to the FISA court and how an FBI attorney actually doctored evidence to justify spying on members of a presidential campaign and later targeting a duly elected president? What about the last four administrations who were openly spying on journalists? These are all indisputable facts. I don't care if you support this bill or not. I don't care if you like what I'm saying or not. I don't care with how you feel. These facts cannot be disputed. So excuse me if I'm not all that trusting of these agencies. If I'm not all that trusting of this administration This is not me being anti-government or anti-authority. They did it to themselves. They've routinely abused the power we've already granted to them. And they've lost the trust of millions of Americans due to their own actions. Now, given these clear abuses of power, I want someone to explain to me why I should trust them now. Again, stop being so naive to think that abuses won't happen. Stop being so naive to think that they have your best interests at heart. They don't. The senior leadership in many of these powerful agencies, and when I say powerful agencies, I don't say it lightly. These are agencies that have the potential to destroy people's lives. And the senior leadership, they've rotten to the core. They've proven themselves to be nothing more than ideological hacks. Then you have others who simply have no backbone to push back and uphold the principles of the United States Constitution what do you think is going to happen when we have to allocate billions of dollars to this new domestic terrorism apparatus that we build out? See, the thing, and again, you have to think deeper. You can't just look at the surface level issue. In order to justify continued funding of this program, well, you're going to have to show results, right? You're going to have to justify the funding. They're going to have to justify keeping their jobs. And so what happens then? Are these agencies going to go out there and actively seek out disaffected Americans encouraging to do for them to do something against their own country? Oh, that would never happen. Well, actually, no, it did happen. Just look at the whole Whitmer kidnapping scandal where you had entrapment going on. And there are more examples than that. See, these agencies, I mean, when we actually examine it. There's already plenty of tools at their disposal to target domestic terrorism, and we don't need any new laws, especially a law that could be so easily abused. And we don't have to wonder if they intend to target political opponents. All we have to do is look at their own statements. Take Congresswoman Cory Bush, who said, quote, the Republican Party has become the party of unfettered white supremacist violence. She said this as the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act was being passed. So she's saying this as it's being passed, and if that's the intent of the bill, well, shouldn't you have to investigate the entire Republican Party? Because that's what she wants. She believes the Republican Party as a whole promotes and advocates for white supremacy. I wish someone from the media industrial complex will ask her if she really believes that. And if so, is she advocating for the entire party and anyone associated with the Republican Party to be arrested and charged with domestic terrorism? I mean, if you listen to her words... It means that any registered member of the party is supporting white supremacy. Well, does that mean that we can now charge all these members of the Republican Party with conspiracy? Because she's calling you a white supremacist if you're registered as a Republican or you're a conservative. Interestingly enough, at the same time she's saying that more blacks, Hispanics, and other minorities are actually flocking to the Republican Party. I wonder if she thinks they're white supremacists too. Scary part is I know how she would answer that question. She would say that those minorities have been influenced by white supremacist ideology. That's how demented these people really are. Take Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's been pushing this message for well over a year. Take a listen to what she says.
1: Our legitimate
0: white supremacist sympathizers that sit at the heart and at the core of the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives and... When you see someone like the like the the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy of the Republican Party
1: uh, respond to white supremacist vitriol coming from his own members,
0: not with censure like they did with um, Representative Steve King of Iowa, um, not with, you know, being stripped of committees, not with any consequence. You have to wonder where who actually has that power. And it increasingly seems, unfortunately, that. In the House Republican Caucus,
1: Kevin McCarthy answers to these QAnon members of Congress, not the other way around.
0: Again, think about what she's saying and then put it in the context of this bill that just passed. And it should frighten you. But you can argue that, oh, well, Congresswoman Bush and Congresswoman AOC, they're fringe members of Congress. They're part of a squad. Nobody takes them seriously. But they aren't the only ones that are actually pushing this message. You have House Majority Leader. So this is not a small ball player. This is the House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer, saying the same thing. He went on the floor of the House as this bill was being debated and said elected officials in the House of Representatives have incited extremist and radicalized people. And in case you have any doubts as to how up this goes, in case you wonder or have doubts that this law won't be abused and it won't be used to target political opponents, here is a clip of Speaker Pelosi, the second most powerful person in America. Take a listen.
1: I do believe, and I have said this all along, that we will probably need a supplemental uh, for uh, more security for members when the enemy is within the House of Representatives, uh, a, a threat that members are concerned about in addition to what is happening
0: outside. When the enemies are from within the House of Representatives, and understand, she's been cultivating that type of language for over two years now. It actually goes back before the 2020 election. So if you think that this isn't a coordinator approach, think again. She was one of the first to actually start pushing out this term, domestic enemy, that's been jumped on by the Democrat Party and the bureaucrats that are in office. She has been pushing the narrative that the Republicans are the domestic enemies. So at the same time that they're debating this bill, these are the messages that have been beamed out over the course of the last two years, and you still have morons like Congressman Adam Kinzinger and people like Congresswoman Liz Cheney justifying this usurpation of power that they know can actually be used to target Republicans, but they don't care because there's a lot of Republicans that would actually want this power as well. And that's where Democrats better be careful. But it's not just the politicians. Here is former CIA director John Brennan, another pathetic hack. Take a listen to him.
1: So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed, are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, Mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength, and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. And unfortunately, I think there has been this momentum that has been generated as a result of, unfortunately, the demagogue agrarianism of people that's just departed government but also those who continue in the halls of Congress and so I really do uh, think that the law enforcement homeland security intelligence and even the defense officials are doing everything possible to root out what seems to
0: be a very very serious and insidious threat to our democracy in our Republic again listen to the words he's using to him any dissent is unacceptable And look at the groups. Uh, Again, he uses vague terminology, racists, nativists, bigots, accusations that have been lobbed all over the place. But he goes a step further. He talks about Christian fundamentalists. Who are these Christian fundamentalists? Well, according to people like Whoopi Goldberg and the media outlets and the pundit class out there and the Democrats, the bishop of San Francisco is a Christian fundamentalist because he won't Give Holy Communion to Speaker Pelosi because of her stance on abortion, anytime, anywhere, no matter how far along the pregnancy is, doesn't matter. And so he's being painted as this radical Christian, even though that's within the church's doctrine. As a matter of fact, Whoopi Goldberg said he doesn't have the right to do that. That's not his job. No, that's exactly his job. You're Brennan talking about libertarians who have a completely legitimate political philosophy, but the most dangerous of all is Frank Figliuzzi the former FBI Assistant Director for Counterintelligence. Take a listen to him. Look, Chris Ray testified publicly on the Hill that what happened on January 6th is domestic terrorism. What have we learned from our experience with international terrorism? In order to address that problem, arresting low-level operatives is merely a speed bump, not a roadblock. In order to really tackle terrorism, and this time domestically, you've got to attack and dismantle the, the, the command and control element of a terrorist group. And unfortunately, and I know this is painful to hear, that may mean people sitting in Congress right now, people in and around the former president. Mm-hmm. That's how you do this. Otherwise, recruitment, inciting, and, and uh, cult-like leadership continues to recruit people to violence. That's insane. This is not some random fall-left pundit. This is the former FBI Assistant Director for Counterintelligence. And here he is saying sitting members of Congress who've been duly elected need to be rounded up and thrown in prison, that the Republican Party itself is a domestic terror organization, and they are the commander and control structure. I want you to really let that penetrate your minds because these are the officials that were once in charge. And so how many current top level officials think the way they do? These people aren't trying to hide what they want to do. They are openly telegraphing it. And then you have so many morons here in the United States. doot sounds good. Domestic terrorism, bad. White supremacy, bad. Yeah, we could all agree those things are bad. That's not the debate. But one, let's actually attach specific definitions to these things. Two, we don't need to empower the government further. And even if you are a Democrat or to the left of the political spectrum, you should be highly alarmed by these statements. Because guess what? Sooner or later, you're not going to be in power. Sooner or later, the other side's going to come into power. And while most of them are cowards and don't have backbones, they will abuse this power as well. The thought process going on is so irresponsible. It is so dangerous. And when people use the word fascism, they throw it around for everything. Fascism, fascism, Trump's fascist, America's a fascist, corporations are fascist. No, this is what fascism looks like. Fascism is are the groups that use words like purge, deprogram, re-educate, domestic enemy, domestic terrorists to talk about their political opponents. That's real fascism. And this bill will do nothing more than serve as a pretext to investigate political opposition, and every American needs to reject this bill. And I know I'm a conservative, but this isn't a partisan political issue. Like I said, If this program is codified and goes through, it's only going to expand in subsequent administrations, as all programs do. If you are on the left of the political spectrum, do you really want Republicans to have this type of power? Can you really predict where this ends up in 5, 10, 20 years? Trust me, you don't want to go down this road, because it will not end well for any of us, no matter where we stand politically. See, in this episode, I provided facts about how the bureaucracy has abused its power over the last 20 years. I explained how we got to this point. I used clips of Democrats and former officials in their own words, not me putting words in their mouth, in their own words, making it clear what they want to do. And I challenge anyone out there to dispute a single thing I said in this episode. They won't. They'll attack. They'll call names. They'll label it white supremacy but they won't be able to refute anything I said. I hope you found this episode informative because this is the most important topic that's out there and it doesn't get nearly the attention it deserves. And if you find the content informative, share this episode with others because I don't think people realize how dangerous the situation is. I don't think people realize what's happening out there, what's really going on. And we need to get this message out there, even to those who would disagree with you politically, share it with them. Open their eyes. And I appreciate all the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. I want to thank you for joining me today. I'll be back on Monday with another great episode of your PAS Report Podcast. Thank you for listening to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. Have
1: a good one. Bye.
0: Be sure to rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, visit PASReport.com and follow us on Twitter at PASReport.